This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. Oh my God. It's relatively healthy and I have missed it. I've missed you. I thank you so much for your support during this time of break. Oh, this just feels very good. This feels very good. I'm going to cry. I just love this podcast and I love the listeners and I really love today's guest. Um, I wanted to have her on for a while. She is a comedian. She is a science communicator. She is a neuroscience PhD candidate at Wild Cornell. Okay. And her name is Shannon O'Dell. And I bring her on because she does these awesome videos online, which are all called Your Brain on Blank, where she basically sums up what happens in your brain when you do anything that feels good. And today we're going to be talking about social media. What happens to your brain inside of your brain when you're on social media? Because I can tell you what you're posting and I can tell you what you look like. But I don't really know what's happening inside. I don't think any of us do, even the people posting. So I'm really excited to have her on. Uh, you're going to love her. She also hosts Drunk Science, a live show in New York City. And it's like comedy and science and drinking and all that fun. Um, and I really want to thank you for listening. And I really want to thank you for this moment. Um, I love you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Okay, Shannon, thank you so much for joining me on Relatively Healthy. Well, thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. to be here. So happy you're here. So you're very smart. How do you describe what you do and what you study to your smart friends? And then how do you describe it to people like me who aren't that smart? (laughs) Well, I mean... First, when I when I try to explain what I do, I try to make it so everyone can understand. Um, you know, I mean, unless like not babies, but like everyone <laughs> else generally can understand. Yeah. But uh, let's see. Uh, let's see if I do this okay. So I study memory, um, but memory is kind of a broad topic. And scientists, one thing about scientists is that we love to study a very tiny specific thing and obsessed over like a tiny small detail. And that's all we do. It's like we brand, but we're incredibly niche. Um, (laughs) um, So essentially with memory and how I study it is um, to go into that, basically I have to, I have to explain a little bit how we think memory works in the brain. Um, So essentially um, how we understand it um, is that like when you experience different events, it's thought to kind of light up small, discrete populations of neurons in the brain. 
Um, and then when you remember that event, um, those same groups of neurons are thought to be triggered again and light up again. Um, and different events or different memories are stored in different little groups of neurons. So their own, their, their own little social networks of neurons. And basically what I study is why at any one given time do a certain group of neurons light up versus another time, a different group of neurons light up. Oh, that is so fascinating. I've had um, eye movement therapy where in theory they're helping. I mean, you could probably explain it better than I could. But what I understood is it's trying to sort of like fire a different memory or a different version of the memory in your neurons. um, If that is at all remotely right. I have heard of this. I know very little about the therapy, Mm. so I can't I can't speak to it. But yeah, it's really fascinating. Uh, It's there's so little we know about memory. Like I, I taught talked about that as if that was like some like solid ground thing that we know. But even that knowledge of what we know about memory is still like up for debate of like how many of the neurons stay the same the next time you recall the memory. How much is it changing? It's so crazy too. just like the human experience, all the things we think are unexplainable. And then it's just where the neurons are. It's just like all this stuff that's so based in science and where the neurons are firing. Um, I mean, truly, it makes us think, I mean, we're a computer a little bit. Yeah, we're computers, but like weird <laughs> and like hurt ourselves type computers. Um, so Yeah, like depressed computers. <laughs> depressed computers, exactly. <laughs> so you did a great job explaining that. I think that is so fascinating. And um, I have a, I studied like psych in college, which everyone did. Mm. So I understand memory from the broader sense. But then when you actually get yeah. into the fine tune part of it, it's so fascinating. So speaking yeah. of, uh, you know, hurting ourselves, uh, today yeah. I want to ask you about social media because there's the way we experience it emotionally and the way we experience it socially. But I'm really curious about the way it affects our brains and what yeah. happens when we're using it. So first off, yeah. the top of our questions, is social media addiction real? Can you say that from a neurological point of view? Right, right. Well, as a from a personal standpoint, I would say yes. I am crazy. I am obsessed. <laughs> but um, when talking about addiction, um, I think yeah, it's really interesting. So, like, even breaking down the word addiction and what 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 it really means. I mean, social media addiction is not something that's currently listed in the DSM five, which is kind of like DSM five is like the holy grail of diagnosis for psychiatrists. So it's not clinically thought to be something that's like diagnosable, like as something like a substance abuse disorder would be something that's in the DSM-5. But some people have argued that social media addiction is kind of uh, this like um, subset of internet use disorder, which is something that's been talked about in psychiatric communities, um, which is thought to be a behavioral addiction, maybe kind of similar to a gambling addiction, which is something that's actually treated and in, in like in the DSM five. Um, but so when you're thinking about the word addiction and how we think about it as neuroscientists, um, There are like some categories that need to be met for something to be an addiction. Like um, you need to, it needs to be associated with excessive use, um, maybe associated with a withdrawal phenomenon. Um, You need to be able to build up tolerance. Uh, There need to be negative repercussions associated with it. 
and not just behaviorally, but we need to be able to match it with like neural correlates. So being able to see the bio, like the neurological activity change as you're using it. Um, and in terms of social media use, the, the work figuring out how this actually changes our brain is kind of it's just beginning to be investigated. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of debate in the field of whether it's an addiction or whether it will become an addiction. There are some brain imaging studies that are coming out now that, um, are really interesting. Like I was reading this one study from 2014, um, where they basically, they looked at the brains of people who self-report that they're really addicted to Facebook and that they were measuring these people when they were doing a task that measures impulsivity. And basically they could see those people who use Facebook at maybe an addiction like level also showed higher impulsivity, um, in this like striatal amygdala pathway, which is this part of the brain that's really important and important in impulsive behaviors. And it's kind of like super online when you're uh, addicted to a substance. Mm. So these people's brains kind who are highly addicted to Facebook were also showing this activity that kind of looked similar to those who are addicted to substances. So kind of showing that they're self-reporting it and maybe their brain activity is also showing it, but they weren't, their brains weren't exactly like those who were, um, addicted to drugs. Like, so another hallmark of being addicted to a drug is that you see this decrease in prefrontal control. So the prefrontal cortex is kind of like your judgment and control area of the brain. And we see in people who are going through addiction, you see that area of the brain kind of like dampen because you're, 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 you don't have control over your impulsive actions and you don't really see that with social media addiction. Mm. So whether it's a full addiction or just kind of has these traits of addiction, um, I think it's something that's very real and getting researched a lot because we, because basically scientists are like, Oh fuck, we have this new world here and we have to investigate what's going on. Yeah. Also, sorry, I said, please fuck, okay? say it more. It's okay. Amazing. <laughs> okay, cool. When a scientist says fuck, it's like the greatest feeling in the world. Um, so, yeah. and also what well, you're I talking, it's so great because, um, like it's interesting that the, the behavioral checkboxes are all there. Everything you're yeah. saying, you know, it causes uh, detriment to your life. And, um, it feels like yeah. you don't have control. So it just sounds like, yeah, the research around it is going to be fascinating in the coming, yeah. in the coming years. Um, and when we're using social media, what are the neurological mechanisms involved? I mean, are there, I'm sure it's like your reward center is firing and stuff like that. And cause I'm curious, yeah, yeah. like from an evolutionary standpoint, what it's maybe mimicking or like what, why, sure. why it feels so good. Right. Cause anything, that, <laughs> anything that makes us feel good has like an evolutionary purpose at some, for some reason, like why do we love sugar? It's like, well, sugar is high in energy. And so like we're drawn to it or, uh, so the same thing for social media, it's that we are hardwired to like want to be social beings. I mean, they activate, they, what, what research has shown is that using social media, interacting on social media kind of activates a lot of the same brain regions that are just activated in normal person to person interaction. So, and, and like you were saying, evolutionarily humans, they want to be around each other because it makes sense being around people. It allows you to mate. Um, it gives you access to resources. It gives you access to safety. So these are all like very, uh, important things when the brain was developing of like 
helped you survive. Um, and so a social media is kind of just like that times 300 mm-hmm. <laughs> and that you're getting constant feedback and, or feeling like you're in a group, feeling like you're out of a group. So in the same way that, uh, it hijacks the system of you wanting to be near people, there's the, the flip side that like when interactions are negative or we perceive them as negative, it like in cyberbullying or just like, I feel like it's just, you're just watching your Instagram feed of like, oh, everyone's having fun. I'm not having Mm -hmm. fun and feeling social exclusion. The same regions of the brain um, are kind of, you know, activated in that you don't want to feel that way because you want to feel in group. Nah, Yeah. It feels Um, like we're, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no. I was just saying, and this is especially something that's being thought uh, looked at in adolescence. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I worry. I worry for the youth. I mean, yeah. I think like yeah. the thing that's so interesting to that about that too, to me, is that when you're seeking social connection and you're seeking mm. that, the number of times you get it on social media is very low compared to what you're talking about, which is the feelings of exclusion or the feelings of like passively being left out or not right. enough or whatever else. But it's almost like, you know, with like um, the pigeons that are pecking and sometimes they get the reward and sometimes they don't. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you haven't gotten the reward in a while. You're like, I know I'm going to get it. So it's sort of like you're looking right. for connection and you're just going to keep doing it till you find it. But you're probably not going to get it for a while. Right. And it's like you we have that feeling of the past of like, well, I've gotten it before. Mm-hmm. So I want that again. I want that you know, and it's almost like the more you don't get it, the more you want it. Exactly. Um, I can relate to that. Yeah. Are there, do you think there's 24 (laughs) seven? Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you're just, I, and also I just think like humans are so uncomfortable being bored for a second or feeling feelings or just like sitting Mm -hmm. with discomfort. So I'd rather just sort of check out, look at my phone, have those known feelings of, insecurity and fear and longing than like whatever other stuff, um, is actually going out of my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm curious too, like if there would be a scientific, if there'd be a basis for some kind of correlation between traits and the neurological wiring of certain behaviors, like why does someone post a selfie versus someone who doesn't or someone scroll endlessly versus someone who doesn't like, is there anything there? Yeah. But so, um, there, I, there have been a couple of studies that have looked at that, that specifically a lot of these studies look at kind of in adolescence. Um, but, um, there are some really cool things like, um, Oh, where do I have this? Sorry. Oh, where do I have this? Oh, here. So like, okay, here's one study that found, um, that higher levels of extroversion were found to be related to, higher levels of commenting and liking, which is kind of, it's kind of, uh, what you would expect Mm -hmm. that like, if you are extroverted, they're going to like more and they're going to comment more. Um, but then I found a 2016 study that reported higher levels of loneliness, um, were associated with, uh, increased sharing of photos. Mm. So the lonelier you are, the more you're likely you are to share a photo on Instagram. This just like really put a dark cloud over a lot of social media behavior. (laughs) I mean, truly when you think about it, because I mean, I think about it in my own life, you you all have like 
the people in your network who are posting every single day. And in my mind, I'm like, Oh, they have a great life. They're like, the they're happiest. So yes. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, well this study, I mean, not that they necessarily fall into that group, but yeah, it's, it's, it is weird how, um, we perceive people online versus like what the person is actually feeling. Yeah. Um, and there's, there was this really, uh, interesting study that I also saw that, um, basically they looked at people who used Facebook versus people who used Facebook and Twitter and people who used, um, uh, Facebook only, um, they had, um, what is this one? Oh yeah. People who use Facebook only, they, um, were more likely to feel loneliness mm. versus those that just use Facebook and Twitter, which I thought was the opposite. Cause I'm on Facebook and Twitter. I'm like, Twitter's a lonely place. Oh, Twitter's too, dark as hell. The people, yeah. the things people post there, I'm like, are you, it's like the opposite of Instagram where I feel like Instagram yeah. is all these polished images and Twitter's like, here's my darkest thought today. Right, oh, exactly. And aren't people, maybe it's, yeah. Mm. Maybe seeing that makes you less lonely. That's true. You know, maybe, that's true. You know, that's like an honest connection kind of, is from people realizing that like everyone has bad feelings. But, you know, you got to promote exactly. your improv show. So I don't know where you're supposed to do it. Um, yeah. You mm. got to do it on Facebook. Facebook do. is the place. I know. And I think I guess I hear like the kids are no longer on it. So maybe this is all right. they're all like they got depressed and left. I don't know. Um Interesting. Oh yeah. Snapchat. That one seems dangerous too, just in terms of like the risk and like the excitement of doing something that's temporary. I mean, I think like everyone makes mistakes on social media, but if you know, you can do something a little more risque and people aren't going to see it. I could see it also just being like very exciting for your brain. Yes. I I just am glad it wasn't around when I was young. (laughs) Me too. I'm glad none of this stuff was around. I was going to ask you about that. Like I'm curious about the youth and their social media and the phones. I mean, I, you see a lot of babies on, looking at iPads and I get that having a kid, it's horrible and you want to distract them and keep them occupied. But I wonder yeah. if there's any research or any sort of scientific insight into like how the phones and the social media are affecting the children. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I'll, this is definitely a hot topic and something that a lot of people are studying basically because Um, there's a lot of money being put into it because we don't know how to make policies around social media use Mm. because no one really knows the true effect of a lot of social media use. Like, uh, like should children not be staring at screens? We're not really sure. Um, I read, was reading one recent, uh, survey that was like, uh, get this teen spend six to nine hours per day on social media. And at first I was shocked, but then I was like, I have the screen time app and mm. I spend easily six hours on social media. Oh, a day. I know. It's awful. That app I is don't evil. I know how. I know. Yeah. I, Cause I, I have a full-time job. I don't, <laughs> I can't be, I'm a scientist. How could I spend social media six hours? But somehow my screen time app is telling me that. I know. Um, yes, I am. <laughs> it's like probably those like little minutes that just add up that you don't think about. It's like when exactly. you check it, when you're waiting in line, it's when you're commuting. It's these like, you're not, you're not even aware you're doing it. Right. I have exactly. noticed I can like, I don't know if it is social media or just my brain, but I'm concerned <laughs> that I really can't read for as long as I used to. And I think my attention span is affected. Do you think that yes. social media could actually affect your attention span? Okay. So yes, I, I, there, there is some work 
I, I didn't tell you about the adolescence. We'll go back to that. We, but please. Speaking of our attention span, we can't even. <laughs> we can't even do part. this interview. I know. <laughs> like, ah! Sorry, I was um, on Instagram. I didn't even hear what you were saying. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there. that's really interesting. So there is this one uh, recently quote, not recently quoted, but it was. it's a heavily quoted study that was done in 2009 where basically they looked at multitasking in social media use. Because uh, it started with this idea that people who are heavy media users, they're multitasking constantly because you're not like just on Twitter. You're also on Facebook and you're also doing work and you're getting notifications. And so this idea that with increased media use, you're increasing multitasking. And so the thought was, um, okay, does this make people actually better at multitasking because they're doing it all the time? And it turns out Based on that 2009 study, it didn't look like that. It looked like people who are using heavy media use were actually worse at multitasking. And they're really bad at task switching. Mm. So like from one task to another, which is interesting because this is different than um, so uh, video game usage. So pre-social uh, media, video game usage has been this huge area of uh, research since whenever video games started coming out, I guess like the seventies, they started coming out with very basic ones. And so when video games came out, there was all this research, like how is this hurting people's brains and what's happening? And this must be so bad for you. Um, and a lot of pushback, but really interestingly with video games, what happened is the more research that was done, it kind of led to, um, basically that video games could actually be kind of good for your brain that basically it could increase a lot of memory, uh, capacity and like, uh, cognitive skills and that people who play video games are really good at multitasking mm. and they're really good at task switching, unlike people who use social media a lot. Mm. So there might be some differences, even though we think, I think a lot of neuroscientists sometimes think of gaming and social media, maybe in a similar bracket of like internet use. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, yeah, that they can have like different effects on the brain. Um, but yeah, it does look like social media use might make us worse at multi multitasking and paying attention. Yeah. That's crazy that you, you just think it would make us better. We're like more used to it, but it probably just makes us more scattered and, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. In the study, it's just like any kind of incoming information, I guess we're e easily distracted by it rather than, uh, if you're a good multitasker, you get incoming information and kind of disregard it. Like mm -hmm. that's not, important. but, uh, when you're bad at multitasking, you're like, Ooh, what's that? Ooh, yeah. What's that over there? I feel Ooh. like it's really, it's really hard for me to just do one thing for a long period of time. And I think sometimes I'm even more than I'm looking at social media, I'm looking for the feeling of the switch. I'm like looking for that, yeah. you know, escape. And sometimes it's like, okay, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, like in rapid succession as some sort yeah. of just making your brain, I don't know what's going on there, but it's just like, I've got to switch to a switch real fast. Ay -ay -ay. I saw this. I saw this uh, really funny tweet and I, I can't uh, say who wrote it because I don't remember, but it was like, I just had a, a, like a, the most amazing news came up on my Instagram uh, store uh, on an Instagram story. So guys keep on watching those Instagram stories, stop eating your meals and like 
the idea being, I'm quoting it horribly, but that like, we're looking for satisfaction in something that's Mm -hmm. like, there's no, there's never going to be satisfaction. Right. Right. There's never going to be satisfaction. Like I think it's also helpful to think about the way these apps are designed because the algorithms that they've created, it used to be you would just get everything on all of these feeds in order and you would just see what was new and then you would close it. But now they've designed it where every time you pull and you refresh, you get a new stimulus. It's like these yeah. are designed to sort of be constantly looked at and always there's something new. And right. I think there's something that like they deeply understand about our neurology and our psychology where it's like designed to make you want to look again and again and again. I'm sure. Yeah. Like if anything, I feel like a lot of the apps are becoming even more disorganized. Whereas, yeah, opposed to timelines used to be just like sequential. Now they're just like random noise that you're like, Ooh, let me refresh. Let me refresh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know the neuroscience behind that, but that yeah, I feel it personally. Yeah, that's that's ex- it's like I feel like if it when it was organized in order, at least it was like I can check out and come back or like I can, you know, there's a there's a yeah. logic. And now you're sort of just like it could be anything. It's just like, you know, pulling a slot machine right. or whatever. Um, right. I also I don't know. I think like I've read that obviously phones and the blue light are bad for your sleep. But I wonder if social media is bad for sleep too. I feel like sometimes I have insomnia and when I'm up, Mm -hmm. I know you're not supposed to, but I look at social media and I wonder if that's just also screwing with the way my brain is trying to go to sleep and I am constantly ruining my life. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously you talked about it. LEDs are really bad for your uh, eyes as you're falling asleep because... They literally uh, mess with your your circadian rhythms and you're like melatonin. But um, yeah, whether social media, I mean, I think social media can be anxiety producing in a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. anything that's going to produce anxiety is going to be troubling in going to sleep. And uh, yeah, it's interesting with social media use and well-being studies. So there's not a huge consensus on whether social media use is linked to worse well-being because it seems like with every study that comes out that links, um, you know, social media use linked to increased incidences of anxiety and depression in teens, there's another study that says like no link found or no correlation found between these two incidences. So it's, I think the jury's still out on whether Overall, as a trend, it's bad for our social media use. But like I know myself as an anxious person, social media makes me anxious. So like it's going to it's it's going to be bad for me to go on. Um, And with those well-being studies, what they find is um, they think a lot of the reason that when they can correlate uh, well-being, like worse well-being with uh, increased social media use the idea that if teens or young people are on social media for longer, that means they're sleeping less Mm. and sleep is huge for your Mm well-being. And like, it's so like, so many studies have been done that like, if you don't sleep, there's a higher chance you're going to be depressed, anxious, and just generally unhappy because 
you need sleep. That's uh, yeah. So I remember in in high school just being on instant messenger until you know three in the morning. I don't know what we were talking about, but I definitely I, uh, didn't sleep at all all through high school. So I can relate truly. to that. It's very yeah. Healthy. I don't know what I was doing. I'm like. <laughs> no. Who was I talking to? Uh, who was I talking to? What was there to talk about for that long? We probably saw each other at school all day and then it was all night and exactly. insane. And I had I had no good thoughts at that point. Oh, I don't assume. No. I, th- I was <laughs> so like, I really felt like in a Zach Braff Garden State way, very misunderstood. And I feel like I needed yeah. it to like vent, but I don't even know what I was complaining about. I truly would love, actually, I would probably hate to see what I was posting. I think it would yeah. make me upset. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but now it's like, it's that at least is gone. The kids now are going to have to keep, um, it's going to, it's going to stick around. It's going to haunt them. Um, yeah. I also see something. I don't know if you can speak to this at all. That really makes me insane. And I see people in LA all the time texting while driving as if they're Mm. not operating a machine that could kill numerous people in themselves. And I wonder if there's something about technology or like getting the text or the feelings and the um, neurology involved that make you like lose your sense of risk or lose your sense of priorities. Like, oh, this text is so important. I have to look while I'm driving. Is there anything there? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely <laughs> for full grown adults, I don't know. But I think, uh, I mean, meaning I can't speak to it. I think there is. But in terms of like um, teens and younger people, the what social media like really digs into is this need for, uh, you know, social connection and like gratification of like getting likes and giving likes and knowing what's going on socially. And we know for the developing brain, the, the need for social connectedness is so strong. It like outweighs everything basically, because when you're, you know, as the brain's developing, what basically we see is that these social rewarding pathways come online super strong. Um, but way before these prefrontal control judgment pathways come online, they're kind of delayed. So basically what you're getting in the teen brain is just like, oh my gosh, I need friends and, you know, I need sex and, um, I need these rewarding things without any kind of prefrontal. I mean, they do have some prefrontal control, but like not that fully developed, judgment. Um, so you're kind of seeing, so you can, that sort of kind of brain chemistry is just like bound to be like, I'm going to take the risk of not looking at the road to see the social reward. That makes so much sense. That explains so much. It does. And I think when we think about things in that way, it kind of puts, because I think as a society is, this is just a thought I have as a society. We're always trying to like put blame on people and like blame teens. It's like, well, at a certain point, point teens brains aren't the same as our, our brains. Yeah. Meaning like they need a little leeway and, and maybe just a little understanding that, you know, they're going to get there. Um, and that's a whole other conversation in terms of like how, um, we should be lenient and understanding to young people in our criminal justice system, because, you know, our, our brains are still developing uh, up till, you know, mid 20s. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we also blame them for things like you shouldn't get mad at teens for using social media. You shouldn't get mad at teens. Yeah. Like it's these 
companies are designing things that are clearly right. like capitalizing on their brain chemistry. So, you know, exactly. I think there's a lot of blame that's getting put on the wrong people. I think sometimes it should be on the companies that seem like they're exploiting them versus um, themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those those CEOs of the companies that have fully formed prefrontal cortexes that should know better. <laughs> exactly. Um, so for listeners out there, if they feel like their social media use is out of hand or maybe it's no longer serving a positive purpose in their life, is it possible sure. to maybe use brain chemistry and find a way or like a trick to either form a better relationship to it or to get off it? Like what would the science say about that? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Um, I would just think, okay, if we want to get the same kind of satisfaction, maybe like talking to people one-on-one -on -one <laughs> is what I, 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 that's what I initially thought of. Or, um, I mean, just the idea of like maybe going to your friends and telling them how much you appreciate them instead of just like waiting for them to like your photo. You yeah. know, it's really funny how the world works. It's like, Oh, like my photo. Oh, my friend always retweets my tweet. And that's so nice of them. It's like, well, maybe we just all need to like call each other up and be like, Hey, I love you. Yeah. That's <laughs> so right. You. It's so true. <laughs> I really wonder what it's impossible to remember what social interactions were like before social media and texting. Cause now it just feels like yeah. that's a hundred percent of where it happens. And then the genuine, one-on-one, -on -one, I mean, you feel, it feels like we're constantly feeling both connected and disconnected and like connected yeah. in the way where like, you're always on call and you're always sort of, you responding to texts and, or not and feeling lonely. Like there's either you're feeling popular or not at any given moment, even if you're not with people, but then also right. that the genuine connections just seem so much fewer and far between. And I sound like such an old woman, like bemoaning the past, <laughs> but it really does make no. you want to go like, how do I live a life that actually has meaningful connection? And like, if that's my value, how do I live that out? And how, and I think what you just said is actually expressing real gratitude for a friend and having it be that one step further than liking the photo or waiting for them to right. like yours, like, like going out of your way to find more real connection is a great piece of advice. Yeah. I like, I don't see that as old, old lady-ish. I think the same. I've, I'm thinking that more and more in my life, like rather who cares who likes what, like if I have a sit down, if I go and meet a friend for lunch and it feels good and we have a good connection, that's like, it's all you really need. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I think also it's one of those things where it's like if everyone got off social media, it wouldn't feel as drastic for people who feel like they want to yeah. go. But it does feel a little bit like you're missing out or everyone else truly does just interact on it. So you'd be missing out or, or forgotten or right. you know, not included. But um, I don't know. I, I, I personally also when I've taken social media breaks or breaks off certain platforms, I found that very helpful because in terms of just yeah. the the reward center and like what you are used to when you get that habit a little bit out of your system, it becomes less tempting when you come back. Like I went off right. Facebook and when I finally reactivated it, I was like, oh, I don't even feel the same pull anymore toward it. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So kind of a reset. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think like 
people also, people make fun of me because I delete the apps a lot. I make it less tempting to go on them. Mm. And we had an episode, John Purcell and Mujan Silfgari were on because we all kind of had the same experience. And John yeah. had like a great idea to turn your phone grayscale so that things are less tempting and like the oh. shiny icons and the red notifications aren't showing and even people's Instagrams oh, aren't as interesting. Cool. It's like, yeah, yeah. If you really feel like you are not winning the game, like you can kind of just make it a little less tempting um, if that's something that you're concerned about. But I think your advice of actually connecting with people is very novel and great. And I love it. I just love that. Yeah. I, yeah. Cause I think I'm also like a type of person who also believes like, I think social media is kind of here to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, Just be like, I don't think necessarily Facebook is here to stay or any one thing is here to stay, but like the idea of, uh, interacting online and, and socializing with people, being able to socialize with people all the time. I think it's a concept that has come and it's just here to stay because that's just how we connect now. But I think we're still in the training ground of figuring out how to best use it. Like I'm kind of also a person who believes like the first round of technology, when we get something, we can be kind of bad at it. Mm-hmm. Like I always use the example of cars. Like when cars first came onto the scene, we were very bad at cars. They were like <laughs> bad for the environment. I mean, they still are, but like really bad for the environment. They like killed lots of people. No one knew how to drive them. Um, and it was just wild. Yeah. But then we got better at cars. Right. That's a really good point. That's true of everything. It's like we there's sort of like the chaos of the learning and then maybe one generation later they're like don't make our same mistakes and you know they learn a little bit better how to do it yeah that's totally true um I mean you can even see with the different generations how they use like how I use social media versus like my cousin uses social media totally different yeah first of all she gets a lot more likes than me Uh but I, yeah, I like everything is so, and it's also just feels like it changed really fast. Like I have an eight year old cousin who watches, you know, YouTube videos where people play with slime and like the, even just the way they use YouTube is really different and the way they use everything is very, very different. Um, but I think like going back to what you're saying, having empathy for the for the people that are using it a lot and for maybe like more of the reckless behavior and understanding that some of that is, you know, um, it's not the person. It's, it's a bigger it's a bigger picture um, yeah. situation. Um, exactly. I think this is all super, super helpful to understand. I think there's so many things. And you also like in terms of social media being useful, you post videos where you explain these sort of concepts to lay people, yeah. which I really appreciate. And this is one where I think like so many others, it's just helpful to know and to go back to the idea that we are just these, like we talked about these computers and we're mm-hmm. just, you know, just like trying our best. <laughs> so we're just, we're just trying. Yeah. We're just like the, we, you know, this like those robot fail videos. We're just like going through a couple robot fails, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. This was awesome. If people oh, want, this is so, fun. Oh, so fun. If people want more of your insights and to, you know, hear you explain all the other things we're doing that seem weird where should they find you where should they look for you yeah absolutely um you can find me on instagram at shodell i do a lot of explainers on my instagram i used to do weekly 
AMAs on a different topic, I'm going to start doing that again. Awesome. But I have a couple up there already. And you can also find me um, on Facebook. I have a Facebook watch page called Your Brain on Blank, which is another page where I explain how different things affect the brain from puppies to alcohol. Uh, We go into one topic and really dive into it for a couple minutes. That's great. So, um, yeah, I recommend those. Those are all really, really fascinating. Yeah, we have. We have one on social media too. So. Oh, great. Awesome. And yeah, it, yeah. It's just like exactly what you just did so wonderfully is just be like, this is what happens with your brain. So, you know, just yeah, yeah. give yourself a little bit of a pass. That's what I took away yeah. from it. I'm going to run away with that conclusion. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're just our brains and we're not at fault. It's just our brains. It's just our brains. I'm going to use that in court. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> So thank you so much. Um, And be sure to check out Shannon's stuff on social media. Yeah. Yes. So don't leave social media. Check it out. (laughs) Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.